This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The Speed Series episodes are straight to the point, no BS answers to listener-submitted questions. If you have a question and want it answered, submit your question using the link in the description. Thanks for listening, and good luck this season. Today we're joined by Ethan Eskew again. Ethan, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, what's up, man? I'm excited to uh, go over another good quality question here today with you. Yeah, last episode was great, and I'm really excited for this one. You want to dive right into it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, on Instagram, hunt underscore solo underscore public asked a great question pertaining to trail cameras. The question is, how do you utilize trail cameras to find and hunt public land bucks? When to start putting them out, where to put them, and how many to run? And how many, and how does the strategy change throughout the season? Oof, that's a big question right that there. That is a big question. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you tackle this here first and uh, kind of explain to us, because I know how important cameras are to your strategy, especially at home. So I want you to kind of explain to us your procedure from start to finish. Yeah. So in the Hills, it's a lot easier to run cameras than it is to do any glassing or any observing typically. So I do like to utilize cameras a lot to make sure that I'm on the deer that I want to be after more than anything else. Like I want to make sure that I'm chasing the the right deer and not chasing a ghost, if you will. So it all comes back to scouting for me. So I've scouted all winter, all spring, and I've really dialed in the areas that I want to run them. I have a lot of historical areas that I've ran cameras year after year that have done well for me. So I'll, I'll run cameras in those areas as well. Um, but how I'm utilizing them to find and hunt public land bucks would be mainly for me, it's going to be locating hub systems and I'll locate hub systems that set up for different winds that have a lot of different betting points. I have a ton of diversity. You know, I like to have clear cuts. I like to have my oaks. I like to have ag sources nearby. And typically I'll go in and try to find big community scrapes in these bottoms 
And I love running trail cameras in the hills on those community scrapes. And it's just, it's a focal point for inventory in the hills. It seems like any deer that's bedded in that system multiple times on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, he will make his way down into that bottom and work that scrape. And normally I'll have pretty much all the deer that are in that system on that camera in the bottom. So for me, I'm trying to, uh, I've went back and forth on this quite a bit. And last year it was a little bit different. And this year I'm going to go back to my roots and I'm going to cast a really wide net in a bunch of hub systems and run a bunch of cameras in different areas to just try to locate as many deer as possible. And we've spoken on it quite a bit, but you know, we're after that specifically you were in West Virginia and then I am here in Ohio after that really top tier buck that just requires a lot of ground being covered. They're not behind every tree. And so for me, I'm going to run ideally 50 plus cameras in different systems and try to just locate as many deer. And hopefully one of those deer is the one that I want to go after. And I have a target for the opener. Um, but that's, that's how I tackle it from an inventory standpoint. And then I'm using it for like more Intel as well, where as I'm getting these deer on cameras in the bottoms, I'm going to back up real quick. So I'm putting my cameras out in late June, early July in these areas, and I'm not pulling them until typically early September. I like to go in early September, a few weeks out of the opener, pull all my cameras, and then when I'm in there, I'm also checking for hot food sources. So it's kind of, I'm doubling up my intel at that point in time. And then I take all the cards back home and I dissect all of that intel. I'll go through each picture I have of a buck that I want to chase and even bucks that I think I want to chase in the future. And I will dissect, okay, he was down on this scrape and this day, what was the wind doing? What bed do I think he was in based on that wind? And did he come from that direction? So I'm trying to just pull that intel into that spot. And a lot of times what I see is it could be something as simple as on any southwest wind, that buck is bedded here, you know, every other southwest wind. So two or three days a week, he's coming down and hitting that scrape. That's great intel for the opener. And a lot of times that it's a double-edged sword because a lot of times that intel is only good for a certain amount of time. And for me, it seems like it's generally like that seven to 10 day period on the opener, but I have had a lot of success later into October on those scrapes too. So it just depends on the system. But really for me, my focus is like early season. I want to get out there and I just want to, I want to strike on the deer I'm after and get him on the ground before he switches what he's doing. So I'm utilizing cameras for that a lot too, is just the Intel side of things. Um, Yeah, typically they're going to be on the hub scrapes or I, I do run them on, like if I have a bunch of different bedding ridges and I have a hub scrape in the bottom, sometimes I will run cameras in between the bedding and the scrapes just to try to see which, which route he's taking more often. That's something I'll do as well. Yeah. And real quick, Jake, I just want to interrupt you for a second because I know you've done this. So I'm kind of speaking for you here, or maybe, you know, incentivizing you to speak more on this with what you just said, you're going to put a camera on that hub scrape in the bottom. 100%. And like you said, that's going to be where the vast majority of every deer in that system hit. And that's your kind of inventory. But when you're talking about placing cameras to try to figure out how to kill that buck and which buck to kill, if you are in a, say you're in a theoretical massive hub system with 10 different points, there's 10 potential beds in a giant bowl, right? So 
that's your hub and they all come down to this hub scrape. I know for a fact, if there's a buck in there, you're going to have more than just a camera on that scrape. You, how many cameras are you going to have in that scenario? In, in just in that hub scrape or, or in that hub itself? That's a great question. And so it's going to depend on A, the size of the hub and really what time of year I find that deer. So if I find his antlers and I know he's going to be in that system or I have historical data off that deer from multiple years and I just know that he's going to put on what he needs to to be a target, I'll run more cameras in that system right off the bat. And it could be, I mean, I could run one on the main hub scrape. I could run one on a couple scrapes down in the bottom. And I could run one on every ridge that comes down if I need to. Like, I'm not afraid to run even like 10 cameras in some of these systems if need be. And I just, it depends on, it depends on the setup. A lot of times I've, I've killed a bunch of deer with one camera or no cameras on a hub scrape and a bottom, just hunting the bottom. But there's a lot of factors that go into that. You, you can get into a bunch of different things like wind direction, wind speed, the active food source at the time. You know, we could go on for, days about that topic in itself. But yeah, it, it's really going to depend on what time of year I find him. If I find him later into, if I, like, if I don't find that deer until I'm pulling the cameras, for instance, in September, I'm not going to go in there and intrude anymore. I'm just going to take the intel that I have and take a really educated guess off what ridge I think he's coming from, to be honest with you. I just, to me, you know, we spoke about it in the last podcast that we did, the last Q&A session about when you have enough intel. To me, having him on there multiple times and being able to correlate that with a specific wind direction is enough intel for me to take a shot because I already have the bedding located on all those ridges. So I already, doing your due diligence in the springtime leads to not having to do as much when you actually get the picture of him. And it's the same thing with monitoring a food source in a lot of, a lot of places. Like when I was in New York, and I know that you do this. You can drive by and glass a food source and there'll be a buck out there that you want to shoot. And you're like, I already know where he's bedded. I don't even have to go in there this year because I know right where the bedding is. And I know the travel routes they have. Like I'm very intimate with that area. So yeah, it just, it's, it's very situational, but that's kind of my approach to it. Let's get into your strategy a little bit about how you're utilizing trail cameras in the same, same process. Yeah. So mine, um, you know, when to start putting them out, I would agree with you. Um, that late June, early July is usually my kind of key time frame on getting them started just because that's when you start to get an idea of what those bucks are going to look like come fall. As far as where to put them and how many to run, I don't I don't run nearly as many as you do uh, just because I don't have as many. And, and honestly, where I've been hunting the last decade, you know, we spoke about this so much. I've been so intimate with it and a lot of it I've been able to glass to the point where I haven't need to cast that net as wide as you have. Um, now this coming year, I'm going to need to cast quite a wider net to try to pick up a buck that I'm going to want to chase in, in the new state in Missouri. So, you know, I'm going to be running, I, I'm anticipating running 20 to 25 cameras, um, you know, so still not quite as many, but, you know, a decent number for me where to put them, you know, in the summer, I'm trying to pick up inventory of bucks just as you said and i key in on the hubs just like you do especially if it's you know hill related um i'm gonna try to be putting them at food sources as well just for inventory purposes so maybe the edge of a bean field or you know the edge of a standing cornfield leading to a bean field um 
creek crossings can be can be a good funnel point for for cameras especially between you know bedding and and feeding um field edges have have been good for me for just an inventory standpoint um you can put them on certain oak flats like if you if you have a white oak flat i know you've done this if you find an oak flat dropping in august and you just find it i would bet a million dollars that you're going to drop at least one camera on it and then you're going to come back and check it right before season to make to see if there's a big one using it um that's if you're in a new area and i would do the same so really i guess to generalize my answer is on where to put them is put them where you expect to get pictures of big deer. And I know that's kind of self-explanatory, but think about it. They're bedding and they're feeding in the summer and that's all they're doing. That, that, that's it. And drinking. So one of those three places or the routes in between is where you got to put the camera to figure out where the deer are and how big they are. You know, for me, another thing that we kind of touched, and the reason I asked you that question about how many cameras in one system is I am not afraid to blanket a small area of cameras. And my thinking on that is if you're going in there and you're making the disturbance to check one camera, you might as well have more in there um, if you need them or if you feel like you need them. You know, I hunted a buck one time. He was coming out into a field and I was able to glass the field but I was only able to glass kind of like the ridge of the field per se. So I couldn't see where he was entering the field. So I knew he was kind of entering in this one area. And I was trying to figure out where he was bedding because there was multiple different bedding areas they could use. And there was three primary trails that came into this field in the, where I couldn't see. I needed that information. So I put a camera on every trail in the summer and checked it a few weeks later and I found out well the trail to the you know the far east is the one that he's using primarily and the bedding there's two bedding areas that correlate with that trail primarily so and these tra these trails enter within 60 yards so I had three cameras 20 yards apart from each other so you know a lot of people would think that's overkill but he used that easternmost trail way more consistently than the middle or the west trail He's in one of these two bedding areas, and he's using this easternmost trail primarily, and I ended up killing that deer. Um, now, if I had just put a camera on that westernmost trail, because really the westernmost trail was the most worn down trail, and I would have not gotten as much information. And if I had set up to shoot that westernmost trail, when I hunted it opening day, that buck would have smelled me. Um, so don't be afraid to kind of litter a small area with cameras if you need to, to get the information. Again, it goes back to what we talked about in the last podcast, the last Q&A. Don't be scared to be aggressive to get the intel. You need the intel to kill the deer. So you pull your cameras come right before season, right? Like you're pulling your cameras. You get pictures of the bucks that you're after. What are you doing with that data? Do you have the same process I have where you're looking at wind directions and everything else and trying to correlate them to specific beds? Or Yeah, for sure. Especially early season when... You know, and every, and this is another thing we need to touch on, kind of some in season and in the next part of this question, how it develops throughout the season. But when you're talking about cameras throughout the summer, targeting an early season kill, absolutely, I'm taking that information. I'm trying to correlate it with wind direction, weather patterns, 
just as much information as you can draw from it as possible. You know, if you get it, like I said, if you get a picture somewhere and you're like, okay, he's coming from here and he's going to the west, go back to the east where he's coming from, correlate the pictures. Okay, he's coming seven out of eight times he came was on a west wind. I would probably hunt that spot on a west wind. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you don't check that stuff, you're, you can really kind of miss some very key variables that you need to key in on and you need to exploit. Um, so yeah, I'm the same with you. I think our preseason camera approach is extremely similar. Um, you have historically cast a bit wider net than I have, and I've historically probably done a little more glassing than you have, but it's really the same strategy, honestly, if you boil it down. All right, so the next part of that question is what personally kind of fires me up the most is talking about how the use of cameras changes and develops throughout the season. And for me, this is something I've really developed a lot in the last few recent years for myself, and it's it's really helped my success. Um, everyone talks about how important in-season scouting is, and I think we all understand that. I think in-season aggressive camera use for me is super important. I mean, I've found that to be true the last few years, and For me, I'm just going to kind of walk you through what I do with my cameras from the first week on. That first week, it's all about what you did with your cameras the last three months. Okay, we just kind of touched on that. Once you get after that first week, the food sources change, or depending on how early your season is, buckshed velvet, then food sources change. They break up from the bachelor groups. There's a lot kind of going on in that early season change. And then you get into mid-October, their testosterone is starting to come up. You know, they're starting to move into, you know, they might shift their core area. They're starting to make scrapes more. They're starting to maybe venture more. You know, if you look at telemetry data of whitetails, the amount of which they move in a 24-hour period is almost a linear increase through October. No matter what anyone says about the October law, this is science. You can look at this and see that the amount they move linearly grows as October goes on. Now, the majority of that could be at night, but they're still moving more. So what I'm saying is what a deer does changes throughout the season. And you, if you're not on top of that, you are just shooting yourself in the foot. So for me, what I'm doing is I'm constantly on top of food sources, especially kind of if we want to talk from anywhere in September through the second week of October, it's all about food for me still. Um, you know, they're not rutting yet, so their primary factors are security and food. That food sources changes a lot. You know, it could be crops and then it could be acorns or if you have, you know, something even as small as, you know, I've seen sugar maple leaves if you get a really hard frost in mid-October and you just dump a ton of sugar maple leaves, when you get a really, really quick, hard frost, it changes the chemistry of those leaves, and it makes those leaves like sugar, right? So you can adjust your camera strategy throughout to just continuously be trying to monitor deer at different food sources, Um, and you have to be out there on the ground finding the food sources and then placing cameras and 
And like I've said many times, and I think it's the same for you, I'm not hunting a deer unless he's really, really top end, at least where I've been. So I have to use cameras to make sure that it's a buck that I really want to shoot. You know, if I'm just after a deer or a good deer, if I find that food source that it's hot, I'm probably just going to hunt it right then and there. But if I'm looking for the top 1%, then I'm going to try to camera it and then move on and find another place because I just need to go after that top 1%. But what I'm saying is it just continuously shifts. Um, once you get into late October, that's when those bucks, their testosterone is really starting to grow now. They're starting to make scrapes heavily. Almost every camera I have is going to get put on a scrape the last two weeks of October. Almost every camera. I may keep some at food sources, um, but the majority are going to be at, at scrapes. And it's just, number one, it's an incredible inventory tool. And number two, it can be an incredible hunting tool. A lot of people are kind of weird about hunting scrapes, but I know you and I have both had incredible success hunting scrapes. So I don't know. I think if you hunt the wrong scrape, you're wasting your time. But if you hunt the right scrape, it's about as good of an opportunity as you can get at a certain deer. As you get into the very end of October and through November especially, this is where I personally run cameras more aggressively than most people I know. Um, because not only are things constantly shifting and changing in a deer's world, you know, now we're getting into rut and these bucks become kind of unpredictable. I say predictably un unpredictable be because it, they are unpredictable. Like you could have a deer here for the last six months, but a hot doe just came hot a mile and a half away. And now he's over there and he's going to be there for four or five days, you know? And it's like, you, you don't really, you never know when that's going to happen. But what I have found are these trends year in and year out for years and years and years is you will have your target buck be in an area for three, four, five, six days and he's in there super heavily during the rut and then not that much outside of that. And it was years and years of me either letting cameras soak all year and then looking back and saying, okay, this big eight was like November 12th through the 16th, he was in here every single day during daylight, but the rest of the month of November, he wasn't. Or November 1st through the 4th or the 6th, he was in here five out of six days, you know, something like that. So now what I really try to do is I try to run my cameras super, super aggressively and continuously check to try to pick up on where this deer is or where whatever buck I'm after is at right here, right now. And what I've done to do that is if it's, you know, I employ cell cams and regular cams. And if it's a very hard to access area, I will put a cell camera there. I know some people don't like cell cameras or, you know, let's face it, they're kind of expensive to, to run and operate. So some people don't want to do it for that reasons, whatever. If you're not using cell cameras, something I've done is I've put cameras kind of in easier to access areas that you can check very regularly. And I will check cameras like a madman during the rut. And I do it primarily at night, um, which is something, you know, some people do, but it, you know, I feel like most people don't do that. I'll, I'll sit in a tree for 13 hours in the rut, you know, dark to dark 
and then get out and drive and go check cameras. And if I check a camera and it's like, okay, I checked this camera three days ago and this buck showed up yesterday, I'm probably going to hunt this spot because like I said, it just seems like these bucks, they move in, they'll be in an area for a period and then they move and then they're in another area for a period. And that's just something that I've noticed year in and year out. And once I kind of started doing this more aggressive strategy of trying to pick up on when a buck is in a certain area and capitalizing on it, my success has exploded in the rut. And I think anyone can have a pretty decent rate of success in the rut if you're just after a good deer. But when you're hunting specific deer in the rut, it's really difficult. And this is by far the best way that I've found to capitalize on a specific deer during the rut is when they come into an area, get after them right here now. And obviously that's easier with a cell camera. But like I said, I don't have that many cell cameras. I only have a few. Uh, The majority of my cameras are regular cameras. And with that, I'm just checking, checking, checking. And I'm glassing still during the rut a ton. And like, you know, we've talked about this before. If I, if I see a buck, you know, in an area during daylight, it, like if I'm driving somewhere and I glass a buck crossing somewhere at 1230 in the middle of the day, I'm probably going to hunt around that area, you know, today or the next day or the day after, um, or all three trying to get on that deer and then moving on. So yeah, I'm all over the place with cameras during the rut. And then When you get into late season, it's right back to food and security, trying to figure out who survived, and you're just trying to... Late season and early season are almost the same to me, honestly, as far as a camera strategy goes. You're putting your camera either at the food source to inventory the deer, or you're putting it on trails between bedding and food to figure out which which route they're using. Um, There's really no other strategy for me for deer late season. With cameras, anyways, um, and then you know if you're tagged out and you're just, you might just want to figure out who survived. So then you're just putting it on food sources to inventory. For me personally, um, but that's how my camera strategy develops throughout the year. It is changing almost on a weekly basis, if not on like a two or three day basis. Especially during, like I said, the last week of October through Thanksgiving. That month right there is I'm moving and checking cameras like the energizer bunny and it's really paid off for me the last three or four years yeah i love that and we have a lot of similarities we have some differences as well and for me it's very circumstantial you know if i look at if i'm tagged out if i tag out early i let all my cameras soak and then i have that historical data but the thing about being in hill country with historical data is that historical data is very hard like, I feel like it's easier in the rut to keep track of, like, historical data. Like, you, you can say, okay, this buck's going to be in here in this window, like a four or five-day stretch. But when you're talking about just, like, deer shifting around through some of these systems, the historical data in the hills, in my opinion, is only good if you have the exact same food sources hot that year. And it's really, really hard to keep track of that because a lot of these oaks are so sporadic down here. You know, we have years where the acorns are, like, are everywhere. We have years where they're very mixed. We have years where we don't have any at all. So the historical data, it's almost like you have to, it'd be the same thing as like an ag field, right? Like you have cameras that are going to a cornfield. While that data might only be that good, it could be good all the time, but it might only be like usable when you have a cornfield again. And it's the same thing with like a hot white oak flat. Like I can run cameras in there and say, man, this year it was on fire and these dates and next year go in there and on those dates, those deer aren't utilizing that system at all because that flat's dried up. 
And that's something that I'm focusing on a lot is trying to figure out the correlation of that. And I'll keep my, all that data for that specific circumstance to arise again. I'll say, okay, now that it is, it is hot again, this white oak flat's hot. I'm going to, I know that typically when this white oak flat is dropping, it's going to be within this window and the deer are going to be here about this time. And then they're going to spread out again. So kind of utilize it for that. If I, and that's if I, that's really, if I tag out, that's like, that's my thought process on running cameras the rest of the year. I know some people that pull them out of the woods. I don't, I let them run because I love that data. You might as well utilize the work you've already put in at that point. So if I don't tag out, it really depends as well. It's very circumstantial because do I have a target or not? If I have a target, a lot of times I'm not really doing much with cameras besides running them like around the system. So I don't want to, I'm not going to be intruding on the specific area. I think he's in very often. I'm going to be bouncing around outside of that area, like on the fringes, just trying to verify he's not doing something I'm not expecting. And I still want to have that area that I'm leaving alone to strike in when I get the proper conditions, but I don't want to be in there, like checking those cameras over and over. If I don't need to be a lot of times, like I just want a picture of the deer. If I can get a picture of the deer, I'll go hunt the deer. I'll go find the sign and find his tracks and figure out how to kill him. But if I don't have a deer to go after, I have a totally different strategy. And I utilized that last year where I would put. I'd go find hot sign with cameras in my bag. I wouldn't even take my bow a lot of times. Sometimes I would, but a lot of times I wouldn't go find hot sign. I'd put some cameras out. Then I would go to a different area that I already had cameras and check those cameras. If, if they don't have a big deer on them, I'm pulling those cameras and I'm taking those and scouting another area and putting them out again. And every day it was that process. I'd go to an area I had cameras, check them. If there was nothing going on there, I'd pull them and I'd move them. And I was just in this constant, like, it was like a five day cycle where I was just doing everything I could to just try to locate a deer to go after. And that for me required a lot of shifting around. I still did have cameras that were just historical Intel cameras that I went and checked throughout the year. And that was on your main, like hub scrapes, like these big diverse system hub scrapes. I just ran cameras all year round because a lot of those areas do heat up at certain points in time. And that's how I ended up getting on the deer that I chased the last couple of weeks of season was based off of an area that I've had pretty good success in, in the past, ran cameras in, I went in there and checked those cameras and I was like, holy cow, there's a, <laughs> there's a good deer in here now, but he wasn't there 95% of season. So if I would have pulled the really, if I would have pulled those cameras and been shifting those cameras around, I might've missed out on that opportunity. So I'm kind of all over the map. It's very circumstantial for me. And I, the plan is going to evolve every year. Every year is going to be a little bit different, but the one thing that I think that we can both agree on with both of our strategies is not letting the cameras become a crutch. And what I mean by that is like, if you have a deer in an area and you know what he's doing, even if you're not getting him on camera, if you think you can go kill him and you think you have the intel you need, go kill that deer. I know a lot of people that are waiting for like a specific picture of a deer on a specific trail or something like that. And I don't really play that game. Once you know he's there, and if you've done your homework, you, you're going to be pretty close, or you're going to at least know how to get in the game and then shift night after night to try to get on that deer. So yeah, the, my, biggest, my biggest tip is just like, don't overly rely on cameras and let that be a crutch because it's, it's happened to me before. I'm sure it'll happen to me again, but I try to fight that urge and I try to just like make sure I maintain woodsmanship and maintain that spidey sense and 
just at the end of the day, go sit in the woods and spend time in the woods and try to figure the deer out. And something that I want to touch on with what you said was, you know, we both talked about how we're just shuffling cameras, checking cameras, moving cameras. And you talked about how, you know, there was, I mean, there was probably a month stretch where I think you took your bow into the woods twice last season. Like you were just camera, 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 camera. And I just want to clarify for people, again, this is Jake and I in our personal pursuits trying to kill the absolute biggest deer in a certain area. Like you weren't hunting, you were scouting, but you were sending me pictures of deer that the vast majority of people are going to love to go after, you know, and, and same with me in the area that I'm in. So I just want to clarify for listeners, when you're doing this strategy, you have to kind of predetermine kind of what you're looking for. You know what I mean? If you're looking for just like a really good buck for the area, if you do this strategy, you can typically pick one of those up for at least in my experience, very quickly. And it's a great strategy that just gets you to where you want to be a lot quicker. If you're trying to kill that, you know, top tier 1%, then it's almost required to find that type of deer. Um, but either way, just being on top of what a deer, how a deer changes throughout the season, just staying on top of that with all scouting, not, this is a camera based podcast, but staying on top of it with all types of scouting and staying on top of that deer that is vital throughout the season if you're not tagged out yet or if you have more tags in your state or you're going to a new state or you're hunting a neighboring state or whatever you know just staying on top of them cameras or not is is vital for success yeah i completely agree well hey man we're uh we're getting to about the half hour mark on this thing i think it's been a great show it was a great question so thanks for submitting that and if you guys enjoyed the show, please head over to uh, iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. Ethan, appreciate you coming on again, man. I can't wait for the next episode. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was fun. I know we both uh, love trail cameras. Um, like you said, we just can't let them be a crux, but there is a lot of strategy that goes into how we use them, and uh, it was a good talk for sure. 100%. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv